When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Marvel Standom. This week we are digging into episode four of Hawkeye, another exploration of Christmas time in the MCU in New York City, and the antics of Clint Barton and Kate Bishop. With me for all time and always, I have Den of Geek TV editors Katie Burt and Alec Bajalin, and Den of Geek News and Features editor Kirsten Howard. Kirsty, why don't you break it down and tell us what happened? In Marvel's Hawkeye episode 4, Kate and Clint continue to bond as they investigate the missing Avengers compound watch and Jack's involvement with the tracksuit mafia. Meanwhile, there seems to be more to Laura Barton and Eleanor Bishop than meets the eye. After eventually tracing the watch to Echo's apartment, Kate grabs it but ends up facing off against Echo as Natasha Romanoff's old Red Room sister, Yelena Belova, also emerges from the shadows and joins the fight, having been told that Clint is responsible for Natasha's death. As the episode ends, Clint attempts to sever ties with Kate in an effort to go it alone, sensing that the situation is now even more dangerous for the ambitious young archer than he first thought. We are now two-thirds of the way through this series, and I think it is safe to say that what has come before is not a fluke. This show is a lot of fun, and it has been consistently great, even though this episode is a little bit slower than the action-packed craziness of last week. Uh, So what did everybody think of this? I liked this episode. Um, I think it was my least favorite yet, but I've loved every episode, so that's not, you know saying much. (laughs) Um, I think it was also the most Clint-centric episode. I think we really delved into his psychology here, which could be related to why it was my least favorite, but also I think it's necessary for the arc of the show. Um, I think, and I hope that this story is leading towards, among other things, some kind of accountability for Clint's past actions as Ronan. And so I think this was a very important episode. Um, to kind of set up that even further, but also to, you know, set up a lot of other things. And obviously it ends with this this return of Yelena, which was very exciting uh, for me. I agree with Katie. I think if, if we had to rank all these, this is probably my least favorite thus far, but it doesn't really matter because it's still just fun and cool and an enjoyable mm-hmm. 47 minutes of TV. I like how much Laura we're getting this time around. You assumed that Laura Barton had to be a big part of this, but I just like her playing like the the woman in the van type role for Clint, doing all the research, endlessly patient and supportive. And I also like that they're sticking to this timeline of he has to be home by Christmas. We have a helpful radio announcement to the, on this episode that we are three days out. <laughs> I found that very helpful. I was like, thank yeah. you. <laughs> So we know that whatever's going to happen in the next two episodes, it has to be three days worth. Yeah, I thought this episode was the 
probably the slowest one yet. I agree with you guys, but I think that the um, I think that was necessary. Last week was just so action packed, and we needed to do some sort of investigative legwork here because there there are some mysteries that have pretty much been abandoned since the premiere. So it's good to get back into it. Um, it did mean forfeiting a lot of the sort of high octane stuff that we had last week, but there was still some great character work here. And um, yeah, it was really good to see uh, Laura in this episode. In fact, sort of opening up more of a mystery surrounding her than I was expecting. Um, there seems to be some background there on her character that we haven't um, been exposed to yet, but that does make sense. Uh, she's always been so ridiculously understanding of Hawkeye's career and his avenging and his antics. The idea that she may have been in the business once and that's how they met is sort of tentatively poked at here. Um, uh, so it, it makes sense and I hope we see some more of that in the next two episodes. What language was she speaking to Clint on the phone there? I think it was German. Yeah. I could be wrong, but I do think it was German, yeah. I have one more thing to add about her. <laughs> it's that a lot of uh, the role of like the superhero or the action hero's wives in um, in a lot of pop culture, they tend to be get dead. a lot of like misogynistic complaints <laughs> towards them. Um, and I think that's because viewers intuitively understand that nothing bad's going to happen to your husband. Don't you understand? He's a hero. He's a protagonist. Everything's going to be fine. I feel Worry like, about uh, yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, she's a character who, like, understands that she's in a series of movies. She's, like, never concerned that Clint's going to be injured. Just because, like, obviously he's going to be fine. He's played by Jeremy Renner. And he's Hawkeye, and this is a Christmas show. I continue to be fixated on Eleanor. For so many of these characters, they're incredibly personally connected to the central plot and mystery at the heart of the show. And while Kate, you know, she's suspicious of Jack, she doesn't love Jack. You know, we got that mention, I think, last week when she was talking to Clint about how her father, um, you know, was she saw him as some sort of hero um, or protector. So I think she has this narrative about her family that is probably going to be challenged in a way that makes the stakes even more personal to her in the familial sense. I mean, at the very, you know, barest sense, you don't really cast Vera Farmiga as a random or... I mean, she may well be, you know, a red herring, but it seems like, why would she do this if it wasn't going to be leading to something or she wasn't going to be... Uh, more mm -hmm. involved in the plot, so um, yeah, let's wait and see. Also, she's so great in everything, but like mm -hmm. especially this, that bit where you know Jack is being you know just embarrassing and lovey-dovey with her, and she's like really blushing. You know what I mean? It was mm -hmm. it was really adorable. Obviously, we're not gonna we're not gonna be happy with whatever's going on with Eleanor. I'm sure, but. It's just it's just so much fun to watch, and the show is playing it so well, and this show might be the most perfectly cast of any of the Disney Plus MCU shows so far, um, like where even these seemingly minor characters are just just light up the screen at every opportunity. I, I can't get, I can't get enough. We should talk about Jack for a second because there's a pretty significant departure from the comics in, in the character of Jack Duquesne here. And not just that, you know, in the comics he is Jacques Duquesne, uh, but more because 
you know, in previous episodes, you've seen me kind of hint that there might be uh, even more to Jack than we know that there is more to Jack. In particular, I was kind of hinting that there is a connection to Clint. And I fully expected after that cliffhanger last week that we were going to pick up with Jack and Clint recognizing each other. Because in the comics, they are very deeply connected. In fact, it, it was, you know, it was uh, Jacques Duquesne who Clint had a difficult childhood and essentially ran away to join the circus. You know, uh, look, <laughs> comics... You know, Hawkeye first appeared in the '60s, and comics were, you know, very different. But I mean, that's um, my backstory too. So yeah, that is how Katie Burton ended up working for Denny folks. And uh, but you know, essentially, Clint became the world's greatest marksman, which is how Hawkeye was initially billed before, like they really just drilled almost exclusively into him as an archer. Um, but Clint Barton became the world's greatest marksman because of the training. Of, of Jacques Duquesne in, in the circus. And, but then once Clint had to call Laura to straighten things out about Sloan and everything else and get the backstory on Jack, I realized that look, it makes perfect sense within the MCU that they're not going to go with anything even resembling that backstory. I, I'm not disappointed or anything, but I've been kind of teasing this out over the last couple episodes and... I was wrong, folks. I am still hoping that we get a little bit more of Clint's backstory, though. Um, and maybe Laura is the way into this. I don't think I need more of Clint's backstory. <laughs> I have enough. I mean, I would... I, ugh, I, don't, I don't even want to say this because I'm tempting fate. I still feel like I don't totally understand what he was doing as Ronan, other than, like, working out his pain. I feel um, like they t- they touched on it. Um, we had a little bit of a "My Life Is a Weapon" um, moment in this episode where Clint talks to Kate and sort of says, "You know, when I was working for Shield or whoever, you know, they would point me at someone and I would go get them. You know, uh, I was a weapon, and now." You know, when I was Ronan, I didn't have anyone telling me to go do that. I just decided to sort of do it by myself. I've only watched the episode once, so if I'm paraphrasing, I'm so sorry. Um, But yeah, he he sort of took it upon himself to go and get the bad guys because he didn't know what else to do with himself um, now that his family were gone. This episode in particular, but the series in general, brings up the question of what even does a system of accountability for this look like? Which has been teased before in the MCU, especially with Civil War, but like as we've discussed on the show before, didn't really, wasn't really thoroughly explored. There's this moment in this episode where they hang out with the LARPers again, (laughs) and just like casually ask this woman cop to like steal evidence from the police. She does, and it's kind of just treated very lightly, which is fine. But it's also like if if Clint wanted to like, confess or seek accountability for, like, what he's done. I don't even know how he would go about doing that. Like, I don't know who he would tell. (laughs) Yeah. Who watches The Watchmen? Exactly, yeah. (laughs) One fun note about that uh, LARPer in particular, that is uh, Officer Wendy Conrad, who is a deep-cut Marvel character. Uh, Later in the episode, she she has her bag... And she's like, yeah, my wife gave me that bag. It's, you know, it's embroidered with uh, Bombshell. And Bombshell is a kind of very low-level Marvel character who first appeared in a Hawkeye comic back in 1983. Uh, 
I think I'm, you know, we talked about back in the, the second episode when the LARPers first made their appearance that Grills is somebody who in the Matt Fraction comics is, uh, you know, one of uh, Clint's neighbors. So I might have to go back and dig a little deeper on some of the names of the LARPers because I feel like every single one of them is going to end up being significant in one way or another. That's exactly what you want out of an Easter egg because I had no idea about that bombshell connection. And it just works as a silly joke to me that she doesn't want to give up her bag. But there's that (laughs) extra added level for the, the real nerds. Um, I just think the show doing Easter eggs very well. I always loved that kind of stuff. Like, particularly, Daredevil was excellent about this, and so was Jessica Jones to some degree, where, you know, there would be background characters and little names that, you know, just kind of connected to elements of the comics, and they would move on, and that would be the end of it. And the other thing that they did really, really well, which this episode was excellent at, is, like, the mundanity of being a superhero. Where, you know, I, lo- I, I love any time you, like, see somebody, you know, whether it's, like, Indiana Jones on screen or whether it's Will Eisner's spirit in old 1940s comics. Whenever you have a hero who just gets the crap kicked out of them all the time and then you have to see them kind of recovering in whatever way they possibly can. So, like, Clint sticking, you know, packs of frozen fruit and vegetables all over himself is just is a lot of fun. You know, Daredevil was pretty good about stuff like that. And even, like the dreaded Iron Fist, like season two of Iron Fist was much better. And that kind of opened with like, I, I seem to remember the first episode of that doing stuff where it's like, Oh God, I got to get the blood out of these clothes and stuff like that. And I love that. Like, I want more of that. Clint Barton has dealt with universal existential threats. Um, and how long do you think he had to sit in the, in Kazi's back seat waiting for him? Like, the job is both. The job is, like, shoot an arrow at Thanos' eye and, like, chill out in some low-level criminal's backseat of his car for, like, three hours. Kill an afternoon. These uh, MCU shows haven't been heavily connected to each other, or really connected to each other at all. Loki never referenced WandaVision. We never had anything in Falcon and the Winter Soldier about stuff that was going on. But if you watch this week's episode you'll be aware that um hawkeye does make a major connection to phase four mcu by bringing in yelena belova um we excited to see her (laughs) we we thrilled i was yeah this might be the most excited i've been to see the next episode um i wasn't the biggest fan of black widow i like or i was entertained by it but she was you know, the best part of it for me and for a lot of people, I think. And seeing her again really hammered that home for me. The fact that she, if that movie failed in some ways for me, but it did not fail in one of its most important um, purposes, which was to introduce this character and make us care about her. I really cared. I care when when she shows up. I'm very excited to see the conversations that she has with both Clint and Kate. I'm excited to see Yelena because I'm always excited to see Florence Pugh. Um, But in addition to just kind of the base level excitement for having Yelena involved now in the show fulfilling that promise from Black Widow, is I like how it elevates the stakes. Um, Because at the beginning of this episode, uh, you know, Eleanor asks Clint, like, you have uh, my daughter on Avengers business? He's like, no, 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 it doesn't rise to the level of Avengers. That's okay. It's like what we've been talking about, how this is kind of like a little side quest in the MCU. 
But in episodes end when a Black Widow shows up and Clint doesn't know that it is this particular Black Widow, um, his Black Widow's sister. He just thinks that somebody has hired a Black Widow level assassin to take him out. And he just looks at at, um, at Kate's like, nope, you're done. This is done. Like, I know we've had our fun thus far, but now that a Black Widow is involved, you are no longer my little superhero buddy. You got to go home. Um, so I just like how seriously uh, he takes the, the mere presence of a Black Widow. He just understands intuitively that this elevates the threat from, like, here to here, well beyond Kate's capabilities. I thought it was interesting, too, that uh, when Clint was talking to Kate, he was saying that his best shot was the one he didn't take against Natasha um, when she was a widow. And when Kate gets a chance to take a Mm. shot at Yelena, she hesitates and does not take it. Um, There's sort of an interesting sort of parallel there. Do you all think that Valentina is going to show up on this show or be mentioned in some capacity? I'd have to say it's inevitable now. Um, mm. Because if we take that, you know, shot Hawkeye didn't take metaphor to its, like, next logical step, you know, Elena's going to want to get out from under Valentina's thumb at some point, you know? Like, we still don't know what Valentina's really doing. Is she putting together the MCU version of the Thunderbolts? It kind of feels that way, but... You know, like this is a this is a character who is like kind of a, a a darker, more manipulative Nick Fury dealing with less stable individuals to some degree, and we know that Nick Fury was not exactly the uh, nicest, least manipulative person in in the MCU from time to time. I don't think we're going to see that taken to its logical conclusion here, but Val seems like somebody who is destined for at the very least a post credits appearance before this series is done. So this episode brought back the mystery of the Avengers compound watch from the premiere, which was only sort of lightly talked about last week, briefly in the back of the cab with Kate and Clint. It's obviously a pretty big deal to Clint and, in fact, Laura. Who does everyone think that watch belongs to and what is its purpose? I have no idea. (laughs) Yeah, I really don't. I mean, like it's a its appearance kind of screams Stark, um, because Tony likes to combine luxury items with um, complicated machinery and weaponry. Uh, but I don't know if that necessarily dovetails with what Clint said. He, he said um, that hang on, I think I wrote the quote down. They've been out of the game a long time, but their identity is still attached to that watch. And I don't know if Clint would necessarily be that euphemistic when talking about Tony's death and saying that they've been out of the mm-hmm. game for a while. So I really, I think it's probably Stark Tech, but I don't know who owned it and I don't know what its purpose was. Clint also says that uh, if they were to find the watch or utilize it properly, um, that person's cover would be blown, which kind of makes it seem like it isn't anything to do with Tony. The fact that it's Avengers specific really makes the MacGuffin feel a lot more important than I would think it was otherwise. I have no idea who this could be, and we can we can run through some theories uh, based on an excellent article by Gavin Jasper, which you can read on denofgeek.com right now. Um, I love whenever the MCU fills in blanks in its history, you know? Um, so, you know, we have 
Captain America the First Avenger and you know and then we have you know everything that takes place from Iron Man onwards right so we have like the early 1940s and then we have everything from 2008 onwards and then you know periodically we'll get little snippets of things thanks to Eternals and you know Ant-Man gave us a glimpse of some more like kind of mid 20th century Cold War era stuff so I'm always fascinated when they do that because there are at least five decades of completely unexplored MCU things. Probably the best thing about Captain Marvel for me was, you know, the fact that we got to see the MCU of, you know, 25 years previous. And I just, I love the idea that this was not an extraordinary universe just beginning with Steve Rogers getting the super soldier serum you know, and then again, when Tony Stark built the armor, like there were extraordinary people doing extraordinary things all through this time. Um, and sometimes it makes sense to place characters elsewhere on the timeline, you know, like we did with Hank Pym and like, you know, uh, you know, like we did with Carol Danvers. So I'd like this to be somebody who was really out of the game for a long time, you know, if if Clint has been a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent for 20 years, I would like this to be something that is, you know, maybe from the beginning of that or even further back. One of Gavin's theories in this article is that this watch maybe belonged to uh, like a replacement Captain America. You know, somebody, uh, you know, and as we saw in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, that is very much a thing. And as Kirsty and I theorized about, uh, during, uh, you know, when we were talking about Black Widow, the notion that when Red Guardian swears that he fought Captain America, you know, maybe he did fight a Captain America. So perhaps this watch is somebody like that. Do we think that Clint knows the person, like personally, who the watch belongs to or represents? Or do we think it's just someone he kind of knows of? I think it might be someone he knows of. Um and that perhaps Laura knows. It's hard to say, but they did like make uh, make sure we knew that it was a vintage Rolex watch. Like, so when I hear that, I think, you know, it is from, you know, some pre-2000s time. Maybe it's like Armand too. <laughs> yeah. That's gonna be my Mephisto. I'll be like, is it Armand too? Is he showing up finally? <laughs> Let's run through some of, uh, some of Gavin's theories from denigeek.com. And let's see what everybody thinks of these. How's that? Do you think it's Laura Barton's watch? No. No. Do you think it is Nick Fury's watch? Maybe. Maybe. Well, we've got Secret Invasion filming now. I think they need to start getting Nick back into the game. So it's a possibility, isn't it? Do you think it's Phil Coulson's watch? No. Maybe. Maybe. Does anybody even know uh, how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. ended? <laughs> not really. Yeah, so, like, is, is Phil okay? I can't remember if people... Do people still think he's dead? Like, does most of the world think he's dead? I can't remember where can't where remember. we left that. I'm, I didn't watch the show, but I was informed... This is shaky information, sorry. Uh, I was informed <laughs> that Phil Coulson died, and then there was a life model decoy of his body with his mind inside so that um, Clark Gregg could stay on the show after Coulson's death. <laughs> but I have no idea. I mean, they could have been that lying sounds... to me and I'd just been nodding like, okay, sure, that sounds right. Those seem like the most likely 
scenarios to me. Um, you know, could it be Steve Rogers? Why? Yeah, old man Cap. You know, mm. he's somewhere, isn't he? Yeah. When you when you think vintage, you think Steve Rogers. You know, I'm kind of leaning towards that at the moment. And there's like a little bit of a sideways connection to this episode too, because that was lot number 268 in that auction. And when we first saw that, I tried every possible Avengers-related book, like, and looked for issue numbers that that might tie into, because that kind of weird uh, nerd numerology sometimes paid off when we were doing this for WandaVision. Uh, and I got nothing. But Gavin went to Uncanny X-Men number 268, which is a story featuring Captain America, Wolverine, and Black Widow. So um, the fact is, Wolverine's watch. I was going to say, I I think Wolverine is weirdly more likely than Captain America. Really? Yeah, like sincerely. Well, Kirsten's going to kill me if I start doing my mutants in the MCU thing again. So I'm not going to do it right now. But um, I do think that however they end up integrating the X-Men into the MCU in the future, number one, they need to do it very slowly. And the idea that Logan is a shadowy operative, probably working for government agencies long before he becomes associated with the X-Men is something that I am very, very keen on seeing. And I don't think anything would break the internet more effectively, faster, mm. or more cleanly in half than if this turns out to be like Logan's watch, you know? And I'm not talking about you, Jackman Logan. I'm not talking about a Logan from another timeline. I'm not talking about the Fox X-Men coming to the MCU. I'm talking about this being the first indicator of the most famous mutant in pop culture actually starting to have his history seeded into the MCU. I mean, if we're going to go there with the X-Men and whose watch it might be, the fact that Laura was talking German, I mean, Magneto? Kurt? Wow. There are options. Ooh, if, we, cool. if they want to do their own version of that, but we'll have to see. Okay, I'm excited about this. I feel like we really like made some progress here. <laughs> um, but also, I think the thing that throws me off about the watch is the fact that it's a Rolex, which I associate with like fancy and expensive, and I feel like that narrows down the characters I would think of as having a Rolex. But it also could just be product placement, in which case... <laughs> That's not an important detail. Also, we, we don't know what the watch does. Like, it's not True. just a watch. It probably tells time. Yeah, I mean, bare minimum. We know it does that. You know, I've had this theory for the last couple of weeks because, let's be real, the buzz on Hawkeye is certainly not at the level of what we saw with WandaVision or Loki. That's not an indictment of the quality of the show because as we've already discussed this show is delightful but it does feel like if there isn't some kind of crazy mystery box involved with these shows like you don't get people you know setting their alarm to watch these shows first thing in the morning and like blowing up twitter with all of their theories the way that we saw with loki and wandavision this watch might be the first thing that this show has given that crowd that really feasts on that stuff. I don't feel that I need that in every bit of my MCU storytelling, but the fact that it's here is just, it's great. It's another its another success for this wonderful show. And that is it for another episode of Marvel Stand-Up, folks. Thank you for watching. We will be back next week and every week thereafter, giving you all the cool developments in the MCU multiverse. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube. And if you're tired of looking at my face, 
You can follow us on Spotify, too. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at Marvel Standom. We're also at Den of Geek US and at Den of Geek. Make sure you check out our web home of denofgeek.com, where you can find all our Marvel coverage at denofgeek.com slash Marvel. We can't wait to see you again, because you know what they say, absence makes the heart grow old. Kate, get out of there now. What? Why? That light's an alarm. It's a silent alarm. <laughs>